Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Adrian Clark, the Tactical Analyst. Now, there's a dark side to this story, but they'll roll back the years at Old Trafford on Tuesday. Cristiano Ronaldo is back at what some say is his spiritual home. He certainly became comfortable with greatness at United. Now he's been bought at vast expense to help Juventus win the Champions League. Is that a realistic goal? I do think it's within Juventus's grasp. I wouldn't make them favourites. I think it's obvious then that Ronaldo's been brought in to transform them into nearly men from beaten finalists who kind of frustrated, you know, kind of uh, last four um, and, and, and quarter finalists into making that, that final leap. Um, I think it's interesting that the sort of the, it's built on a rock solid defence, isn't it? And um, some creativity in, in midfield. But I think Ronaldo maybe is the, sort of the X factor um, that they were looking for. Um, and I think that obviously, when, when, it's funny, isn't it, when we talk about Ronaldo leaving Man United and um, saying farewell, it'll be interesting to see what reception he gets back at Old Trafford because it has been something, you know, being the sort of the tempestuous figure um, down the years and obviously... Um, uh, other things, it's it's really difficult. I think sometimes to kind of see what sort of reception he'll get. I'm sure he'll be welcomed back as some sort of hero. But the Premier League, when he left, they they lost a megastar. They lost something that they struggled to replace for for some seasons. He's that big. He's that talented. So I do think that it'll be, I think, an occasion to to kind of remember when he comes back to Old Trafford. Yeah, six years at, at Manchester United, Adrian. Um, when you see a, a, a young player come in and make such an immediate impact that his teammates start talking about him, that's when you know you've got a rare one. Yeah, it? well, he came in, didn't he? And he basically told his teammates, I remember there's some quotes from various teammates from the time that, that basically said that he came in as the, the most expensive teenager and basically told everyone, I'm, I'm going to be the best. So he, he had that, that little bit of arrogance about him right from the word go. He took the number seven shirt right from the off as well, which is, you know, unbelievable, really, given given where he was coming from. But he delivered, didn't he? It took him a couple of years. He, he was a show pony at the, at the outset. He just wanted to show everyone how skillful he was. But he had the perfect mentor. Ferguson was just awesome 
with Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he transformed him into the player that we see today. He turned him into a man. And Quite a paternal relationship, wasn't it? Very paternal relationship. But Cristiano Ronaldo, I'm not saying he's not a people person, but I think he can be a little bit isolated. He's just one of those that's... Um, he's so gifted that I don't think he was that interested in it being everybody's best mate. It's, it's about him. So he needed... I think he having that guidance, that arm around the shoulder from Ferguson made a huge, huge difference. I mean, from 2006, 07 onwards, he was just unstoppable. And, and you're right, the Premier League lost a, lost a true star um, at that point. But, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, he, see how he fares on his return, won't it? I mean, I do think that he can help Juventus win the Champions League. I think with him and Dybala and Mandzukic up front... And that rock-solid defence, they've got a chance. And he's still achieving, isn't he? You know, over the weekend, becoming the first player in the, in the top five leagues to reach 400 goals, scoring against uh, Genoa. Um, how do you assess him, uh, John, in terms of where he is now at his career as a player? Is he slightly on the wane or is he still as vibrant as ever? Well, I, I do think he's changed dramatically in the last, say, three seasons where he's gone from being that kind of wide attacker... I mean, I think he's long since evolved from being just a winger. Mm. Um, but basically, I thought that, that Real Madrid almost... He became the central forward for Real Madrid, pushing Benzema wide left, and it was Benzema teeing him up rather than... It used to be the other way round. Because I, I guess he's at, at, at sort of an, uh, an age now where he's looking to expend less energy, mm. although he never, ever tires of telling us that basically he's fitter and stronger and, and basically better than ever um, and will play into his, into his mid-40s. Well, you know, I think history tells us that that's really not, not realistic. But I do think he's evolved as a player. But it's interesting to see that, that kind of set-up with, with Juventus because Mandzukic is much more, um, I think, of a central forward than Benzema, who's, you know, adaptable without doubt, uh, was at Real Madrid. And then Dybala obviously provides more movement and fluidity. So it's a really interesting sort of front line. Yeah, with, on, with on that. I, I think I, it's really interesting. Yeah, on that. I think if you think about Mandzukic, he is, even though he's massive, he's like a target man, a lot of his best work down the years has been done wide. Yeah. So I think he is actually the perfect centre-forward to play with Ronaldo. It's like they can interchange at any time. One can be in the middle, the other can be wide. I think it's clever, actually, clever to, to pair the two of them. Obviously, with Dybala sort of firing the bullets as well. So, yeah, I think together that, that, that trio can cause some... Look, if Manchester United defend like they have done in the last couple of games, and I've seen the whole game of, of the last two games, Juventus will score a hat for I don't expect it to turn, turn out like that because I, I think they'll, they'll focus minds, Manchester United. But if they don't show a big improvement, that trio will rip them to shreds. Yeah. But do we live in an age, you know, we look at Ronaldo and, and Messi as dominant personalities and figures at their football clubs and actually in their leagues almost... Is this whole idea of a one-man team fact or fiction? <laughs> well, I think it's fact. I think it's fact. fact in, in Ronaldo and Messi's case, they've, they've carried the teams that they've played for for years, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, Ronaldo, take away Ronaldo's goals, Messi's goals, Real Madrid and Barcelona wouldn't have, have won the glut of trophies. It'd be interesting to see how Barcelona get on against Inter without yeah, Messi. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's going to be tough for them because he's, he's the go-to guy. I think it might affect... Barcelona more. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one because I, I'm, I'm team Messi when it comes to the... And I know you've been Ronaldo, haven't you? In over I have, years? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, have to say, I have to say I've shifted slightly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think that the, the Messi, for me, is, is the greatest in terms... He just does 
so many mesmeric things that it's you know he's on a different plane in my opinion and I think you take him out of Barca it's not quite the same with Ronaldo he, he just comes alive in fits and starts I just think he's a, he's a wonderful finisher these days um, so yeah but but no he's a, he's a true great mm. there is a you know a darker side to the story as, as I mm. alluded to in, in the intro John um, he he, you know, we're, we're working through the, the rape allegations, which he, he denies and his people deny. Um, it's very, very clear that he is important to, to Juventus off the pitch. You know, since those allegations became public, the share price has dropped by 37%. Um, but is it enough? You know, I read a piece in The Times this morning where supporters were saying, we don't care what he does off the pitch. All we're interested in is what he does on the pitch. Surely you can't have that one-dimensional view of life, can you? Yeah, I don't think you can. I also thought it was interesting, wasn't it, that basically Juventus, if you remember, they, they tweeted out something in the immediate aftermath, basically saying, judge him in, in kind of what he does in training and on the pitch, um, which, which is all very well. But I, I guess you are always going to be backed by your own loyal fans. And when Juventus signed him, obviously this, this wasn't apparent at the time, um, these allegations and, and they, they knew what they were getting basically they were getting a, a, a figurehead from football who transforms the club who you know is such a global superstar that basically it made clearly it made the share price rocket and made mm -hmm. all also Juventus believe that they could win the Champions League as you rightly say it, 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 this the other part of it is this darker side to have emerged and Without doubt, it's been incredibly damaging. I mean, bearing in mind that that, that, that Cristiano holds himself up as, um, you know, these days a very much a family man, a kind of, you know, someone who, you know, posts pictures of, of his kids and, in, and indeed his sort of kind of family life. Um, he wants to be sort of seen as, as something of a football icon. And he will be hurt and damaged by these, you know, very, very, you know, severe allegations I'm sure and they are obviously allegations at, at this stage we must stress that but for football it's it, it, it is something that that that's sort of embarrassing the game and you know is is, is incredibly damaging I think for, for Juventus and the way that they sort of they must choose carefully on this how they push through this because there's always you know two sides to, to every story of course there are and they have to tread incredibly sensitively and carefully. Juventus' statement was crass, wasn't it? It, yes. was, it was awful. And I think they should be should hang their heads in regards to, to their decision to publish that. It's a cloud, isn't it? It's a cloud hanging over him and it will continue to, to linger over him until he's in a position where he clears his name. And if he doesn't clear his name, then we're talking about one of the biggest scandals, you know, of any sport and superstar of all time. So it's a huge, huge story. We can't ignore it. Um, but Juventus could have could have handled it differently. I, I'm not surprised at the reaction of the fans in, in football. Football fans are always very forgiving. We should all, always, as well, assume innocence until proven guilty, mm. and that and that's the way that football fans will, will look upon it. You know, footballers have gone to jail for serious offences, and they've still had the supporters stick by them. So, so it's it's nothing new. Um, but yeah. The, the sooner we get a result of this, um, you know, this allegation, the better, really. OK, talking of supporters, let's look at Manchester United supporters. Do you think they, you know, they, they rallied around Jose Mourinho in the last couple of games and, and credit where it's due, they've come back mm. in both matches. Do you expect 
a show of loyalty towards him again at Old Trafford on Tuesday night. From the fans, um, yeah, I do. it was interesting that basically they were chanting his name. I was at Stamford Bridge on Saturday and they were chanting his name. They were getting behind him in a way that I didn't think was so evident against Newcastle. I think the players changed the mood in that one, but they, they, they were with him. And listen, let's be honest here, I thought United in the second half in periods and spells against Chelsea were exceptional, brilliant. Um, obviously, the defensive issues that they got to work through. But it was interesting that basically Jose went 4-2-3-1. Uh, he obviously gave himself a, a base, although sort of, you know, Pogba's first inclination is to always drive forward. And to blame um, other people. And to blame other people <laughs> and lose his men at corners. Um, but, you know, Mata, Mata is the number, was the 10, and he obviously transformed the game in that role against Newcastle. Um, then he had sort of kind of wide, wide with, with Rashford and Martial. And, um, and Lukaku, and frankly, at the moment, Lukaku is so poor that it feels like you're playing with 10 men again. He was so disappointed. And I guess that that's the point, isn't it? That, that what we're saying here is that basically United fans pride themselves on playing the United way, playing attacking attractive football. That's the only way that they want to win trophies. And if Jose Mourinho can embrace that, then they will embrace Jose Mourinho. It's a two-way street. Yeah. Is attack the best form of defence for United? <laughs> well, yes and no, because they've got so much attacking prowess that clearly the, the longer they spend inside the opposition half, they've got the players, the talent to, to go and score goals. But that doesn't mean you can neglect the defence. For me, the, the eye-catching aspect of Jose Mourinho this season is his lack of tactical structure. I mean, in the past, Jose Mourinho has always had a tactical game plan. He's always sort of had that awareness of the opposition and, and put that first. It's almost like he's abandoned it of late. It's like he doesn't care. Against Newcastle, no one will be able to persuade me that that was a tactical masterstroke. He basically did what a lot of managers do in a, in a state of panic. That's just put as many forward players on the pitch as possible and hope for the best. It was, you know, it, it turned around, I think, based on the spirit of the players and ability. And I think that the ability and spirit of the players came through again at Chelsea. So they deserve credit for that. But I don't think necessarily Jose's uh, covered himself in glory in the last couple of games. For me, that what made him, what makes him a great coach has almost disappeared of late. In what way? In, in the way that tactically he set, he's always set his teams up with a real plan clear plan and it doesn't seem like he's he's had one of late mm. and I think that's a big big change I don't know whether in a position where he's got his back against the wall he's he's basically just said go out and express yourselves I don't know mm. uh, but it looks like that but there was an irony in on Saturday mm. that you know in essence he was saved by two players <laughs> he shunned um you know Martial and and where matter um yeah. But, but they almost... But he shunned like, almost all of the Man United squad at some point. some point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're looking with the assumptions of the rule. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there is the irony that ultimately a player needs his players, doesn't it? Uh, sorry, a manager needs his players, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he really does. And it's interesting that he hasn't shown, I don't think, particular loyalty or affection to too many, maybe outside of Lukaku, <laughs> where he keeps on picking him. But he just... I, you know, he's gone back to, to, to the well so many times with some of these guys who he's ostracised, dropped, treated badly, whichever way you look at it. And Martial, without doubt, I, I guess, as, was one of the very clear victims um, sort of in recent times, although he was at pains, wasn't he, to, to stress after the game that 
You know, his relationship with, with Mourinho has never broken down. But it would be hard to say that a player with such talent, with such uh, ability and technique, I mean, look at his finishing. His finishing was fantastic, you know, on, on, on Saturday, wasn't it? That, that basically something hasn't gone wrong somewhere down the line. Because I think, I think people always sort of assume that Martial would sort of, you know, started really well, very prolific. He would move into the middle. I was always of the view that he was, why move him into 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 the middle when he's playing so wide, uh, so well wide? Mm. And and you know, on occasion, he he can make such a difference. I think ever since that derby game, when when I know that they lost, but Martial for me was by clearly Man United's best player. He's really kicked on. And his, his finishing was so clinical, was so impressive on Saturday. Martial's a fantastic player. He just needs nurturing. He's, he's been a bit mistreated, I think, badly handled by, by Jason Mourinho. I think what's happening here, you've got to remember, that these are professional players. When you're a professional footballer, you sign for the, the club, not the manager. And I know that, that relationships with managers break down and it influences performances. But the bottom line is it, it shouldn't as, as much as it does. You play for the club, not the manager, and, and you sign for the club, not the manager. And I think that's what we're seeing at Manchester United with Luke Shaw, who signed that long-term deal at Manchester United. I think he's, he signed for them, not, not, not the guy that, that basically accused him of being a bad pro not so long ago. And I think at the moment he's playing for the fans, for the, for the club, and not for Jose Mourinho, because you, know, you have memories. Mm. And, and it, it's obvious that, that half of that squad probably don't like him. Yeah. Yeah, but we're also we're in now to almost like the second phase of a propaganda war, aren't we? That uh, you look at you know, is now being um, put forward that you know Mourinho wants more players, so therefore they're talking about let's get Koulibaly in as a, as a centre half, which actually they need. But doesn't that then highlight the paucity of his impact on the training ground? You look at Lindelof, big time. Yeah. I mean, he's, ru he's ruined players. We were talking yeah. about it before before the show and. I just think you've got to look at how other coaches are improving players around the world. Pep Guardiola is obviously the most obvious case in point. But your job as a coach, as a manager, is to improve the players you've got. And almost all of the defenders in particular, well, actually, a lot of the forward players as well, but most of the players have gone backwards under his watch, particularly the defenders who seem shot and confused mentally. And you have to say that for a coach that's built his reputation on, on, on tight defending, it's... It's a big surprise. Lindelof, I think, is his worst ever big money defensive signing. Because basically, I don't know, if you if you sort of suggest then that he's over £40 million, Man United fans quickly shout you down, oh no, he's 35. Well, they signed him in a £40 million plus deal. So let's not kid ourselves here. That's that's big, big money. And perhaps even it, it, in the in the context of things, it it was it was done before the explosion of values. We shouldn't underestimate how big that signing was. It was United's Mangala, wasn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely. And he picks it, he keeps on picking him. And why does he keep on picking him? Because we shouldn't kid ourselves that basically he was, he was plucked from, um, from Benfica. He absolutely knew, I think Mourinho knows, the, the, the value of the player, that the player's standing, what the player could offer. So we shouldn't be sort of kind of allowed the excuse of kind of, oh, it was, it was a United or a club signing. Mourinho would have had input and surely the final say on, on that deal. To me, he looks more, he doesn't look suited for, for the physical nature of English football whatsoever. He looks more of a fullback. He, I don't think he's that great on the ball. 
He's certainly not a classic defender. And I just don't understand what's going on with that one. Sometimes you just have to say, look, he's just not good enough. And he's just, I mean, I, I, I find it really strange that obviously, I mean, he's stuck with Smalling. We know Smalling's not fantastic on the ball, but I do think it's, in essence, Smalling is, is a decent defender. He's a strong, positive defender. I mean, Eric Bai goes away on international duty, gets picked in the, in the, you know, in the FIFA 19, you know, team of the week. There's a talent there that basically, I think, with a better manager, absolutely thrives and becomes, in his first year, he's one of the best defenders in the Premier League. Make no mistake about it. So what's, what's happened there? And it's, it's, there's so many issues. And the, and the key ones are defensively, aren't they? And, and basically, I just do not understand sometimes the breakdown of what Mourinho's trying to do defensively. Mm. Further forward... Yep. You, you know, a player that you've seen a lot of, Alexis Sanchez. Mm. What's going on there? <laughs> well, look... The, Let's get one thing right. He gave the ball away tons for Arsenal as well. Mm. Um, so this is nothing new. This is, is something that Arsenal fans got forgave him because he got into the box and he scored goals and he and he made in the moments that mattered he delivered. I just think that Arsenal he played for a more creative side, a side that that were would play a faster brand of football that allowed him to have those extra couple of seconds inside the box to to to, to get those shots away on target to get those crosses into the box. At United, it's just a bit more formulaic, a slightly slower tempo. And again, I just think he's, he's lost, his, lost his confidence as well. He's not used to, remember, I mean, Arsene Wenger would pick him no matter what, be outcry if he was subbed off. Now he's, he's on the bench. Uh, but if you look at Alexis Sanchez, um, his performance, if you break it down this season, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be getting any game time because he's been terrible. Mm. You know, United are... Obviously, judged by City's progress, which is mm. you know part of the whole Mourinho issue, isn't it? Um, if you look at City now, do you get the sense, okay, they're in Shakhtar on Tuesday, that they're moving through the gears? They've got Spurs on the following Monday as well. Um, you know, you look at De Bruyne coming back, maybe get a little bit more game time midweek, and then will he come back to start against Spurs on the Monday? Do you think? <sighs> Yeah, I think De Bruyne is just a, a, such a good player that it would be irresistible to pick. I do think what is really interesting to me is that basically City, I mean, the signing of Mares in the summer, I think we always knew that he was going to be a squad player, but he's added to the squad. I think in the last few months, and this sort of, you know, it's a bit of a hangover from last season, is that basically Bernardo Silva has really kicked on as a player. Mm. I mean, I think he's, he can do various roles in more central role, perhaps more Brilliant. wide. Brilliant. Such yeah. a good player, isn't he? Yeah. So adaptable. And I think he's given City a, a different dimension. I mean, I must say at the start of the season, I thought, I thought that Liverpool might just win it this mm. season, the Premier League, simply based on the fact that I thought that City, to almost extend themselves, to push themselves further as a European force, might sort of focus a little bit more on the Champions League. And as we know, it's so difficult to win, win both. But I have to say, you look at recent games and I just think that they are probably capable of winning both. I think on their day, City are as good as anything in, in Europe, if not stand alone as the best. I think, I think they are fantastic. They, I mean, listen, I, I did the, the Lyon game at home when obviously it didn't go well. And then you watch them in Hoffenheim. And that game against Hoffenheim was fantastic. It was played a million miles an hour. It was brilliant entertainment from naught to, you know, the 90 minutes. And it's just sensational. They never give up. They've got quality in reserve. They're, they're better defensively. They play out from the back. They're so good to watch. They're, you know, City are the complete real deal. And Liverpool, I think, are the only team 
you know, to vaguely mm. sort of kind of touch them and, and come close. But City, I think, are absolutely capable of winning the Champions League. And they almost needed that wake-up call of losing to Lyon, didn't they? Because it yeah. was like, let's get rid of the complacency chaps. You know, you, you just don't have to turn up. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't be complacent in the Champions League and expect to win a game. What I will say, and I do agree, they are awesome, They've got, especially in forward areas, it's ridiculous. I still think that there are questions to answer when you when you really press them and get at them. And if you're brave enough to really get in their faces inside their own half and pinch the ball in good areas, like Leon did, like Liverpool did over the course of their meetings last season, City look average when they're asked questions in those situations. So the big guns in European football will have identified that. And when those big games come around, that's have Manchester City learned from it. That we'll have to wait until the knockout stages to see what how Pep will will get over that. But that is the big question mark hanging over City. I think you can there is an Achilles heel there if you're brave enough to, to win the ball high up the pitch. Mm. It's certainly gonna be fascinating in a domestic sense to see them uh play Spurs next mm. week. Um if you look at Tottenham, uh a bit like Liverpool, they're mastering the art of winning without playing exceptionally well. If you look at the way that Pochettino is, is managing, you know, a small, quite stretched squad, he's doing one heck of a job, isn't he? He's doing a brilliant job, you know, full of admiration and respect for him. Um, I thought it was really interesting reading between the lines of a press conference. So, uh, admittedly, I wasn't at last week when, when Pochettino was asked about the kind of uh, lack of summer signings, and that sprang again that that debate, wasn't it, from from Daniel Levy addressing sort of kind of some supporters during the international break, mm. and basically suggesting that, that that Pochettino was on board. <laughs> it sounded like to me, reading between the lines, that that was the first thing that Pochettino <laughs> knew about it. But um, but basically, I do think that that whatever you say, and I think it's so so naive and so, you know, being spoon-fed, I think, sometimes to suggest that, that Spurs didn't sign and wouldn't sign anyone in the summer because it's so dependent on getting players who are, you know, better than what you've already got. Come on. If you, if you can't find someone in the whole of Europe that could, you know, could push someone in the squad, then, sorry, but your scouting department isn't doing its job. And honestly, for people to suggest that is just utterly naive. And I think, though, that basically they have missed a trick on extending the squad, freshening up the dressing room that little bit, which I think all successful teams do. Just look at City. Won it by a street last season. What do they do? Go out and buy again. That's what you do to be successful. I think that the mark and the measure of Pochettino's quality is that he's still managed to kind of keep that group together and still focused um, and still... In, well within the, the, the reaches of, of top four. I don't see them pushing City or Liverpool particularly close for, for the title. But in a, in a very turbulent season when, you know, everything going on without the, with, the, with the stadium, no new signings. If they finish top four again, Pochettino, that is a fantastic achievement. Love to see him win a trophy because I think that would be the crown and glory for, for a manager who's, who's amongst, definitely without doubt, the best three in, in the Premier League. And he's doing it against the odds, in my view. Could that prudence, that business prudence from Dan Daniel Levy, cost Tottenham Pochettino? Yeah. If I'm Pochettino, I've got the hump. You can see he's got the hump. I mean, mm. how many spiky press conferences have we had this season? I mean, you go to mm. them. He's, he's been rattled, hasn't he, by the questions. He, he's uncomfortable having to talk about it. He knows it was negligent of the club not to, not to expand the squad. I, he, he's doing a great job, but it's... 
some of the performances are quite average. I think defensively with Vertonghen out, they're stretched now, aren't they? I mean, what happens if Valdivira is out for any period of time now? They're really short. A centre-half at the weekend, Hugo Lloris bailed them out. Could easily have dropped points there. So, no, it's, um, yeah, Pochettino, I think he will need to see a bit of ambition to stay. And in terms of the crowning glory, I do take slight exception. I think you guys in the media do let him off. I mean, the, he's had... You're in the media as well, pal. I don't know, worry about that. The written press, the newspaper press, you never seem to, to, to put a demand on him to win a trophy. It's not no, crowning not, glory. No. It's, it's, it should be. No. He should be expected to win a trophy in the same way that the other big six are expected. With probably a cut competition, clearly. Yeah. You but, should have seen the pelters that I... I gave him and basically I took them from Spurs fans and Spurs legends indeed on social media mm. for basically being so critical mm. of him for basically what was the FA Cup semi-final, mm. wasn't it? Mm. I mean, I just think that basically the problem that I have is that we are talking about and, you know, various clubs you know throughout the country have had this for, for years that basically the landscape of football has changed within the last 20 years. I think I have to say that the finishing top four for some chairman, for some clubs, will be seen as, as the equivalent of a trophy. Right. But he should have won a trophy. In the biggest I, matches. Whereas of... I feel yeah. he's let himself down in not fielding stronger teams mm. in the League Cup. And indeed, I felt that that was a wasted opportunity in the FA Cup semi-final. So he does need a trophy. Mm. What I mean to say is that I think he's done an exceptional job, which I think then a trophy it... then has got something to hold on to. Yeah, he's clearly an exceptional coach. Just that in the biggest games... Albeit, you know, I think about the year they were pushing Leicester to win the title. And the biggest games then, when it came to the crunch, didn't get it right. And in the big cup games, he has not outwitted the opposite number. So for that reason, I think that, that we, there is still that little uh, box that still needs to be ticked. And Tottenham are in a must-win situation. In the Champions League this week against PSV, aren't It's not an easy game, you know. I know Dutch football isn't strong. Yeah, and PSV have won, you know, they're unbeaten. I think they've won nine games on the bounce. You know, there's even talk about merging the Dutch and the Belgian leagues. Is there? Okay. To, to make it stronger. Oh, I don't think that's going to make it a lot stronger, though, is it, really? I mean, how many Belgian heavyweights are there? I don't think that's going yeah. to change the landscape that much. But a lot, the forward line of PSV is excellent. You've got Luke, Luke de Jong, OK, he was rubbish at Newcastle, but he's... he's Consistently good for PSG, uh, PSV. Uh, Lozano, who we saw at the World Cup in, in terrific form. And, and they've got a young player as well up top. Name escapes, Bergwin, I think his name is. Um, mm, up Stephen top, Bergwin. Yeah, yeah, Stephen Bergwin. These guys can cause Spurs problems in this game. So they're going to have to concentrate hard. Mm. The other one, I think you're going to be at this Liverpool Red Star. Yes, yeah. Um, did the real Red Star turn up or actually not turn up against PSG losing 6-1. I know, I know. <laughs> I have to say, this this game, you know, conjures up, I don't know, memories and evokes sort of kind of, you know, uh, sort of previous meetings, doesn't it? It's sort of the Red Star Belgrade, like a few sort of great names of the European past. Mm. You know, you, you really 70s, get excited. It, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. really excited about sort of old clips of Anfield and, and kind of, you know, the really special European nights. And then you look at that result <laughs> against PSG and then you think, well... Actually, that, that let's be honest here. The kind of those glory days are, are, are long gone, and they're out of touch simply because for some of those uh, teams, it's so difficult to compete against sort of the best of, of the Premier League or Spain or Germany or wherever it might be. It's an absolute non-starter. I'm afraid to say the likes of Red Star in that particular group 
it quickly becomes obvious that they might be amongst the sort of the, the, the whipping boys. And, you know, it's a sad sort of state of affairs. I mean, there's so many, so many great names, aren't there, sort of that just now don't, I'm afraid, get a look in um, on the Champions League level. And I guess that's why UEFA might be looking at sort of kind of bringing in that third competition, which will be, which will be interesting in itself. Because the other thing you know, people are looking at is these allegations of match-fixing, you know, pertaining to that 6-1. Now, obviously, they've been denied, and we'll have to see how that pans out. But I suppose, do you think that will have any bearing on, on, on uh, Wednesday night's game? I, d I, don't, I don't think so, really. I mean, as you say, it has been heavily denied, but I do feel that the, the biggest bearing, I think, what, that will have on it is that basically Klopp, with some players who looked tired and jaded at, at, at Huddersfield, like Henderson comes off, you know, Milner, you know, Van Dyke looks as if he's finished the game and playing on one leg, having made that heroic late block. I think the biggest bearing on, on this will be an opportunity for Klopp to say, actually, do you know what, I can rest some players. And I think maybe you'll get a reaction from, from Red Star to prove a point, perhaps, mm -hmm. if, they're, if they're wounded by those, by those allegations. It's hard to say, but... I think that the, the, the bigger thing for me is that Liverpool will think that's a game where we can rest some players, bring some fringe ones in, change it up again. The way I'd see it, if I was Jurgen Klopp, is that this team at the moment needs an uplifting performance. It needs it needs goals. It needs a little bit of the old razzmatazz that we saw from them last year. Whether they're playing well enough to do that, we'll have to wait and see. But they are weak opposition. We saw that against PSG. So I think this could be the perfect time to play Red Star Belgrade. Get back among the goals, heavy victory, and maybe we'll then see a little bit more of the free-flowing, attack-minded football that we saw from Liverpool last year. It's definitely changed a bit, hasn't it? It's not as it's not as high tempo at the moment from Liverpool. And when they're not playing with as much intensity, that front three is just not the same. Mm. Although, you know, it, it would be facile to say that, uh, you know, there, there was no great surprise, let's say, that when Mo Salah came back, you know, no, no. I, I look at him and I see echoes of the whole debate around Harry Kane. You know, oh, he's a one-season wonder. Mm. Well, actually, his class will sustain. Of that, course, yeah. It was always going to be hard to repeat what he produced last year. It was ridiculous. Mm. Everything he touched turned to gold. So, but no, he's a, he's a quality finisher, left and right foot, as we saw at the weekend. So, no, there's no problem with Liverpool's, you know, golden boys up front. They're just, they're just not quite at it at the moment. They, they're going to score tons. They've got good backups. Sturridge just got player of the month mm -hmm. at Liverpool. Uh, Shakir is contributing when he comes into the side. Um, so, no, Liverpool are fine. They just need to find a way of, of winning games comfortably when they're not feeling as energetic. And, and it sounds really basic, but and I think they're trying to do that at the moment. I think there's a little bit more short pass, a bit more patience about their play because you can't always win by blowing the opposition away in the first 20 minutes. And, and that, I think, is the lessons, the lesson they're learning right now. Mm. But it was also another lesson, is that if you get, get yourself sorted out at the back, you've got half a chance. You yeah. know, it's their best defensive start to a season, only three goals conceded in nine games. Yeah, it, and it's interesting, isn't it? last couple of games, um, they, they've, they've changed it slightly and put Gomez, obviously, at right back to, mm. to accommodate Lovren in the middle with Van Dijk. And... Listen, I think if you had to pick of all their defenders this season across the back four, I mean, Robertson, brilliant going forward, of course. Then I do think the outstanding individual has been Joe Gomez because he's just so reliable, so strong, you know, against Man City that I think I think that they pushed him 
wide uh, to play right back to um, to put uh, put him up against direct competition against Sterling, and he did a terrific job, and it was a brilliant battle in in that particular game. But having said that, I do think they miss on occasion Gomez in the middle, and I think that if I was to choose, I would still pick um, Van Dijk and Gomez as as the ideal Me partnership. Too. But Lovren is. You know, Lovren, the self self proclaimed best defender in the world. <laughs> no, well, but no, he's, he's, not, slight, he's, slight. he's not. And he, he has got yeah. a diff, I think he's got a mistake in him. But I do think that we'd be pretty naive, I mean, to think that basically a player like, like Lovren, mm. who, who has suffered for confidence mm. in the past, wouldn't have been buoyed by the brilliant World Cup he yeah. had and, the, and, and his nation had. Yeah, so but, why not try and, yeah. you know, utilise both? But then they do miss the, the Alexander Arnold, yeah. who I think yeah. rampaging forward. So. What I'm trying to say is Liverpool have, have, have actually got now a really strong defensive yeah. is, unit is and there, options. Is there a message there, yeah. Aid, you know, trying to move it on to the to the um, you know the clubs in the in the Europa mm. League, that you look at Chelsea, yeah. it's painful watching Morata at the moment. Isn't it? <laughs> it's really painful. They're gonna to have to spend a lot of money in January to to solve that problem if they're gonna fulfil themselves. Now yeah. they're being linked with uh, Mario Cardi, who scored the winner in the Milan derby, a late, very late winner on, uh, on Sunday. Um, the Chelsea need to get their act together in the transfer market. Uh, what they need, if they had a frontline striker that scored 25, 30 goals, they would be genuine title contenders. Probably, they're not, are they, without them? Giroud's a great team player. I would have Giroud in there. Um, he's a great, he just bounces, everything bounces off him and it, it brings the best out of Hazard. Yeah, Morata, I think... I've I've been a fan of Morata in the past, but he just I think his issue is that he's a sensitive boy and he and he's you know I was like this as a player I let things get to me when I look back and the best players are able to just forget about poor performances forget about missed chances mm. I think with Morata he just he seems to dwell on it and it's getting worse for him so wouldn't surprise me if they cut their losses with him sooner rather than later Icardi would be brilliant he's an outstanding finisher. Obviously, Sarri will know plenty about him. So, yeah, it makes sense. The rest of the team, I don't have an issue with Chelsea. I think they're, I think they're superb side. The midfield unit, for my money, could be the best in the league. I mean, Conte, Jorginho and Kovacic. OK, they were off it in the second half against United. But that is, a, that is, a, that is an awesome unit. Well, there, there were some signs, I thought, on Saturday that Kante was quite ineffective in that, in that new role that he's been given. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of him in that role. And I, listen, I'm a massive fan of Jorginho, don't get me wrong. And Jorginho strikes me as the kind of the, the modern-day answer almost to Pep Guardiola, you know, as he was as a player. You know, he's just sort of kind of there statuesque and kind of getting the ball, always wanting the ball, always available, always, you know, short passing, great vision. And, it, it, you know, he has an extra dimension, whereas Kante was, is your, basically, and has been, I think, up until this season, without doubt, the best um, midfield anchor man of the last three years in the Premier League. He's been absolutely sensational. And all of a sudden they've said, OK, we're going to take the best player and the best, you know, player of his type and basically change his role completely. And I guess I don't think that, that Chelsea are getting the best out of Kante, but equally, I don't think they're getting the best that they could do in that number, what would you call it, number eight role, because he is running off and he is trying to sort of kind of burst forward. And I think you're, you're almost wasting, wasting Kante. I think it's, he's got the tools to do know, it, though. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. Are I, you getting the best out of him? What you gain is that you've got a ball winner higher up the pitch. So when you, you talk about the transitions and turnovers, 
Whereas before Conte was winning the ball in front of his back four, brilliant at it, he's, he's now got the potential and the ability to win it higher at the pitch. So that's what you gain. You lose because Jorginho is more of a ball player. You lose that screen in front of the two centre-halves. So, so it, it, it's just a matter of working on it. I think he's good enough to pull it off. But I, I understand it completely where you're coming from. And I think Chelsea fans are a bit confused. It might be that they just should go to an old-fashioned twosome mm. in there and just ask them both to, to, to do a bit of everything moving forward. I'll tell you what, Kovacic in front of those two could work because he's such a good player himself. And he's yeah, brilliant. big fan of him. Mm. Which then sort of highlights the point, you know, if you're Ruben Loftus-Cheek looking at that now, you, you've got to get out of the Germany. club. Germany, go to Germany. I mean, yeah. we've seen a story in your paper today of the, well, the, the Bundesliga, you just cracked me up this... All 18 clubs in Bundesliga sent the scouts to the England under-17 game last mm. week. I mean, that's just, they're the vultures, aren't they? Um, no surprise. That under-17 team, by the way, mark my words, they are some yeah. unbelievably good players in yeah, that team. Yeah, and they're going, they're targeting that age because they'll be cheaper. You know, there's yeah. a bit of training compensation. Mm. Uh, yeah. Cheek is far too old. <laughs> but, but if you're Loftus-Cheek, no. if any of those guys, even, you know, even the, the Hudson-Odoi is, yeah. is one that was linked. Uh, he, I think he's at the top of the I think I'm going. I'm telling yeah, you, I'm yeah. going to the Bundesliga. Well, they put him in the squad, didn't they, John? First team squad, and then played him. Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, last week he was being linked with Monaco because the Emanalo link, and you know, obviously with, with Thierry Henry, obviously looking to freshen things up. I just, I don't understand with with Hudson Odoi because he was really good pre-season. Um, you know, Sari said he's not going. And basically, then they've kept him. But it's and he's just hard. not got minutes. I know, just, I know, I know. No but then gonna... I just think you know, play him in, play well, him in Bar- the other Borisov exactly. Week, you know? And he hasn't. He's, he's no. opted not to not to do mm. that. And yeah. Okay, well, while we're on the Europa League, mm. hey, you know, we've got Chelsea, we've got Arsenal, we've got yeah. Sporting Lisbon. <clears throat> you look at that logically. Arsenal and Chelsea should be favourites to win that. Um, will they have the mindset to go out and try and win it? Or will it be basically a bit of a chore? To win the trophy? Yeah. Oh, we know Emery wants to win the trophy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not holding back. I mean, he's rotating less than Arsene Wenger did uh, in the group stage last year. Arsene Wenger pretty much was changing 10, 11 people. Uh, no, Emery's not. It's, it's the odd change mm. here and there, isn't it? Um, no, I think he's going he's gonna to prioritise it in, in a way. Because the top four is absolutely no guarantee for Arsenal this year. And if Chelsea do slip up along the way or an, another big gun... Arsenal would be among the favourites, won't they? I mean, Chelsea would be above Arsenal to win the Europa League and the betting, I'm sure. But, but given his record in the competition, given the, the, the firepower Arsenal have, I think they should be looking to, to win it this year. They, they would have won it last year if they hadn't run into Atletico, um, which you can, you can say that about any cup competition. But, um, but yeah, no, I, think they've, I think they've both got a great chance. Mm. What about the other end of the table? You know, we're reading stories about... Um, Slav Jokanovic at, at Fulham, you know, being on a short leash, um, you know, maybe having to win two games or maybe turn it around in the next two games. Um, that strikes me as a really good example of how football can change really quickly and how memories are very, very short term. Well, honestly, that, that it would be ludicrous to sack him. Um, I mean, if, if indeed it's sort of kind of after 11 games, for example... I mean, it would just be crazy. Bearing in mind, obviously, that Fulham didn't have a great start last season. And, you, you know, they went through the gears. They zoomed up the division. It was always, what, what do people expect when you spend over £100 million pounds and on, what, 11, 12 new players? I, I guess where, 
where the criticism might come is the chopping and changing of the defence and letting in too many goals. But personally, I think they'll stick with him and I think he's earned that respect. I think that he's he plays really good football. Um, and I, I do actually think it was always going to sort of take some time, but I do think he's earned that, that the credit in the bank not to not to kind of get, you know, kind of lose it. Listen, I know him a little bit and like for someone to sort of suggest that he might be out of a job, well, good luck with that because <laughs> he's a tough taskmaster. But I, I really like the way he plays football. He's refused to compromise. I like that in him. I don't think he's been served up with, with some of the great signings. He's admitted, you know, yeah. recently that, that, that he doesn't have the final say. I don't think some of the defenders are up to it. Well, he needs to get him on a training pitch, doesn't he? Because this they can't a, defend at the moment. This is a true test of his coaching abilities. His all-round coaching abilities. We know that he can coach a team to play wonderful football, but can he set a team up to, to be solid defensively? Is it, what's the structure of the side? I think he's made some really elementary mistakes this season in terms of his team selection. It, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of common sense to realise if you've got so many new players, you should probably blood them in, drip feed it a little bit. He went almost wholesale change at the start of the campaign. The Fulham team that came up, nowhere to be seen. So it was a whole new side. And, and I think that was a mistake for me. I think he should have been a lot more loyal to the guys that got him up, who, who were familiar with the style of play. And I just don't understand why he keeps chopping and changing. Every single game, there's a change to the defence, either in shape or personnel. And that is a recipe for disaster. If there's one part of the pitch to try and limit the changes you make, it's in your back four because you need cohesion, you need to be on the same wavelength. So I think he's made some really bad errors. And despite, even though he has earned the right of a stay of execution, he's got to give the owner a little bit of indication that he's learning from what's going wrong. Yeah. Talk, talking of owners, Mike Ashley, at, um, uh, you know, he's, he's turned up at a few games, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Five successive home defeats to start a season. You've got Rafa Benitez, whose reputation has been badly damaged now. You've got a club where the captain's coming out, you know, Jamal LaSalle's saying, we need to have a team meeting, which presumably is locked doors and let's have it out. What's going on with Newcastle? They are in deep, deep trouble, aren't they? Yeah. Look, I feared for them at the start of the season. I did think they, they would be one of, the, one of the three to go down. And, you know, the lack of investment, the lack of new signings, well, you're asking for, you know, for disaster, aren't you? You know, with that in the summer, it just wasn't it wasn't enough. I, I, I listen. People paint, and they ha indeed they have done in pieces. Uh, you know, Monday morning after yet another home defeat uh, of this incredible, passionate defence of Rafa Benitez, a miracle worker, one of the best managers in Europe. You know, even throwing back to, to previous successes in you know in uh, previous clubs. Well, I think that Rafa Benitez, frankly. He gets a bit of an easy ride, I have to say, Better. because I just don't, you know, I, I cannot see the logic of, of, of going into home games, not necessarily so much on, on, on Saturday, but of picking a team not to lose. To go out, to send them out in front of 50-odd thousand at St James's Park to say, don't lose the game, to mm. limit the scoreline, to limit the defeat. Mm. You cannot go, I don't think, from that... Um, earlier in the season when he's saying please don't batter as it might damage our goal difference without any intention of trying to win the game into switching it back on again when you've got Brighton at yeah, home. Yeah. Time's so running it's away. bad management. Mm. Time's running away was a bit aid, but um, I'd like to bring in a couple of questions from the, the listeners yeah. and the viewers. One from right. Sam Milson, which is you know, uh, pertinent to this one. Mm. What do you think of Brendan Rodgers as a potential Newcastle oh, manager? I don't, uh... 
Oh, well, he, he would want a few quid, wouldn't he, to, to spend on revamping that, that, that a club which has had a net spend of a million pounds yeah. since last I, summer. I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think Brendan Rodgers should leave Celtic for Newcastle. I think he could do better, if truth be told, in terms of picking the right owner. <laughs> I mean, you always say, don't you, as a manager, yeah. pick the right owner, someone that's going to give you the tools to work with. And there's no evidence to suggest that Mike Ashley would do that. So, no, Brendan should, should swerve that job. Uh, on, on Rafa... Jamal Lasalle's come up with the, one of the worst quotes I've ever heard in today's paper this morning. He said, no one has a right to question Rafa Benitez about anything. What garbage is that? I would question him on loads this season. His mindset, the way that he's encouraging the players, the defeatist attitude, the way that he got rid of Mitrovic and Gale, tons of stuff that he needs to answer. Yeah. A quick one from uh, Parikh Bharat. Uh, you were there, so you've seen it all. As a Man United fan... I was really impressed by how Sarri addressed the off-field situation post-match. Why can't we have more such figures around, less drama, more substance? I couldn't agree more. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Sarri is so easy um, for managers to become defensive, defend their, their own staff, even when they don't agree with it. I thought Sarri uh, handled it brilliantly. He made clear um, his displeasure with his, with his member of staff. Obviously, I think it probably leans to the fact that basically they might revisit that for further punishment internally. Um, and I think he dealt with it brilliantly because Sari obviously respects Mourinho and basically as manager to manager dealt with it, I thought, brilliant. It was a, a superb lesson, I think, in, in how, how to handle that situation. It was the utmost disrespect. I do feel sorry for Mourinho, by, by the way, because he was goaded, but he still can't retaliate like that. Will he get... Well... It, it, I, I guess it, it, it all depends on what is in Mike Dean's report. But personally, I think bearing in mind that the FA did issue a, a touchline code of conduct in, in 2015, which cracked down on managerial behaviour, whatever we might think, basically, I think he probably should, even though I don't actually agree with it. But going by, by the law, I think he should. Okay. Let's finish with uh, a manager who probably all respect, Arsene Wenger, mm -hmm. 69 today. He says he's going to start work again on January the 1st. Very quickly, where? <laughs> Very specific, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we'll hold him to that. I, who knows? He might have an offer. I would suspect Asia would be most his most likely destination. I would love it, though. I would absolutely love it, in the words of Kevin Keegan, if he rocked up at Real Madrid. That would just be amazing, because I can see Lopetegui going. And in the short term, Arsene Wenger might just be the guy to save their season. That They would just be... Fantastic. Yeah, I think he's had offers. Um, I reckon he's, he's, he's kind of telegraphing that, that January the 1st deadline to see whether anything better comes up in the meantime. Otherwise, I think he'll be off to Japan. Well, I love Real Madrid, but what about Manchester United? Who'd be the specialist in failure then? Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 